0: Next Chapter Podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.
1: Hi, and welcome back to How I Got Greenlit, where we continue our conversation with mega-producer Evan Ostrowski as he talks about the making of Cabin Fever and many of his other great films, and discusses the influence of the classic film Manhunter from director Michael Mann. Without further ado, this is part two of our interview with Evan Ostrowski on How I Got Greenlit.
0: I would be remiss Evan, and I don't know if this is the proper time, because I don't, even though we've been friends for a while, I personally don't know the timeline. But I think something that people should know about you and uh, that you're, proud of in a way is that you suffered a catastrophic injury at some point in time. And I think it's important we talk about that. Do you want to talk about that?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very open about it. I have a, I, I broke my neck in uh, when I was 25, this was 1996. So before I made my first film, I was working in New York, working in advertising, working at, uh, just working. And I broke my neck on the, on the beach away, flipping around and, um, put me in, uh, put me in a wheelchair for a year. And I, uh, I still, I walk with canes. I walk with leg braces. I have a spinal cord injury. I will have one till, uh, uh, for all my days here on this earth. It's probably in a way affecting me in ways that I, it's, it's difficult for me to process or to really know. But, you know, when I was younger, making cabin fever, making dead in the water, it, you know, it wasn't uh, so much of a big deal. I walked with like a lamp and a cane and blah, blah, blah. That just was part of my shtick. And, you know, now as I age, it's a little more challenging for me to go places, but yeah, that's uh, that's part of my story.
0: But what people, and this is something Alex and I have gotten from other guests, the process of making movies, making films is a, uh it's a it long, emotionally handicapping it's it's emotionally handicapping <laughs> but it it's a it's a physically hard process every day and you yeah. have you know you're there you're you're there on your feet, all, you're, day. You're on your feet <laughs> all day and you but you got bounced off the bottom of the uh, you, uh, reef was you know, it a no, reef no, I,
2: my head my head hit my head at the bottom of the ocean snapped my neck in the at the C5 vertebrae, which is you know right 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 by your adam's apple if you have an adam's apple And um, everything from my chest down stopped working instantly. My girlfriend at the time is now my wife, Anna, pulled me out, saved me from dying. You were dying. I was was unconscious and drowning. She pulled you to shore, right? Pulled me to shore with the help of, you know, and then she got me to shore and the lifeguards were really Johnny on the spot, got me in a neck brace, got me in a helicopter, you know, and then I spent a few months at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. The week I arrived, Christopher Reeve, was on the cover of Time Magazine. Uh, Christopher was an outpatient patient there when I was an inpatient patient there. The doctors and the physical therapists, you know, when I was there, I, I went in July, it was July 4th weekend, got out Halloween day. You know, the doctors and everyone there, you know, they, well, well they don't lie to you. They Nobody told me, hey, Evan, you're going to walk again. Nobody knew. I started to be able to have a little bit of movement in my leg and they were like, okay, that's great. That's maybe all you're going to get. So let's do another ten reps in the wheelchair, and then I started to get a little more return, more return, and then I could stand up. And they were like, "Okay, this is good, but you know, you might not be able to walk." And then it was, I could walk a little bit. You got to understand, you know, there's a there's is a real gray area from like dark gray to very light gray in what the definition of walking is. Like, what what is walking? You know, walking is the ability to move from one place to another. So if I walk with my two canes and my leg braces 100 yards, is that walking? Well, I think it is, but it, it, is it walking, you know, if I'm using a walker or or if I'm, you know, holding onto a wheelchair? For about a year and a half, almost two years, I was somewhere in between. I would need a wheelchair to go longer places. I would need a walker to go around my apartment or whatnot. But then I got to this good place you know, because I was a young man at the time, I was in good shape, and I committed myself to physical therapy and to working. I mean, I worked out five, five, six days a week for two hours at the Hollywood Y. We we, we moved to LA. My wife and my my aunt and I moved to LA, and uh, mostly to avoid walking around the city because I kept tripping. And uh, and and I'll tell you this: every New Yorker like next to me couldn't like couldn't have been nicer and helped me to my feet every time. And you know that's the great thing about New York but I, I needed to be in a place uh, where I could drive and, you know, and, right. but I eventually got, got to a good place with it. And and um, for many years I just used a cane and now I use one or two and, and, you know, I'm, um, I'm in my early fifties and I use leg braces uh, in addition.
0: Thanks for sharing that. What people didn't understand about the whole story of cabin fever, although it came a little later, I mean, you're, you were dealing with this. Was there a point in time where you were just like, everything that I've worked for, because you know how grueling the making movies and doing, making entertainment can be. Was there ever a point in time where you're like, I have to figure out what I'm going to do, or did you not even think about that and just focus on rehabilitation? No,
2: the good news is, is that that all all of my physical rehabilitation happened beforehand, because we shot cabin fever in 2001. So from 96 to about 98, almost into 99, I was kind of out of commission, let's say, because all I did do was, was work out and see doctors. But as I was also writing scripts, and at the same time, I was, Gustavo and I were working on Dead in the Water, and then things just started to happen, good things. And then I realized, when you're on a movie set, and you're the producer, if there are director's chairs, and let's say they're 200 feet away, if you're nice, and I tend to be nice, and I ask a production assistant or an AD, "Hey, can you bring it over here? I, I you know, I need to sit down for a few minutes." Most people will be glad, you know, glad to do that. That's kind of part of their job description—is to just, you know, move Video Village around. And sometimes I need it. I need an extra chair more than anybody, and that's okay. I don't abuse it and I'm always very thankful. And uh, I remember those who helped me. So
0: yeah, you thank the people of New York.
2: It can be grueling. It's very true, but uh, you got to make it work. I I chose to make it work as opposed to not.
0: You didn't wallow in poor me. You did exactly the opposite. No,
2: I was fortunate because I I would say two things happened when I was in the hospital I never, I was completely delusional that I was always like, I'm going to walk. Like, give me, come on, I'm, I'm going to walk. And I remember the doctors being like, okay, like, just let Evan believe what Evan's going to believe. It's a very common problem for doctors. Like, I never accepted my situation, meaning, you know, when I was in an electric wheelchair, you know, at the beginning, I was like, no, I'm going to get out of this thing. And luckily I did. I never had to get to the place where I had to accept that my physical limitations were going to be life-altering, meaning that I'd have to choose a different career or I couldn't do this or I couldn't do it. I could do anything an able-bodied person could do just slower. Right. And I needed a little bit of assistance from time to time. So that was kind of part A of it. And, you know, the second part of it is, uh, as long as I take care of my body, physical therapy, working out, stretching, eating right, doing all the things that you're supposed to do in life, then it's kept me nimble into my, into my fifties, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm still going to sets, you know, asking for that, asking for that director's chair, you know, that still happens.
0: Yep. You know, thanks for sharing that. Cause I, I I know it's, it's who you are as a person and you don't shy away from it. And I think anybody who's out there listening, whatever you might think your physical limitations are, or, you know, we all get in our own heads about things, you know, you're a, person to look up to as far as like you definitely could have thrown in the towel and been like i'm gonna just sit in my chair and rot away And you did exactly you you didn't even that didn't that that never even entered your mind at any time so
1: and to this day you don't even make a thing of it like when you ask for a chair people don't know that you need a chair you they you know they just think oh this guy's the boss get him a chair you're not you don't make it anyone's problem and you don't ask for any favors.
2: I try Um, not to, because I also say this is that when you're in a place like Kessler Institute, when there's guys like Christopher Reeve, you know, who is in a wheelchair that's being controlled by his breath. And there's so many other individuals that are not getting up out of that wheelchair that are going to be disabled, you know, for life. That stuff doesn't leave your consciousness. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'll, I'll leave it there. You know, uh, I'm lucky to be able to do what I do and I enjoy it. So there you go.
1: And I think at your darkest hour, there, you had a vision that you had to survive to make Zombievers, right? Oh I mean, my that's God. What got, Is that that's where you're you
0: like, that's where the inspirato came for Zombievers? I will say this, like
2: as a film producer, you never know what films that you're working on are going to get financed when or if at all when I was, you know, the, the, the most active in the film industry, I'd have 12, 15 projects I was developing because I knew like that was the ratio to get one going. But then as I got more and more experience, I, I was able to kind of hone in on the ones I really loved and, and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of push those through. But the truth of it is, is that sometimes films just get, you know, just get financed, like Zombievers. Like, it, I, did I think that film was going to get financed? I don't know. You know, like it was—it was a weird movie.
0: And yeah, you never, you never, like, yeah, you never said there's no way this is going to happen.
2: I never say that about any film because you never know what's going to happen. You I had films know. that I was fucking certain that, like, why is this film's going to get made, and then it didn't. I mean, right. I got more of those than I got, you know, wins, and that's okay. That's part of the game. You got, you got to try, you know, and uh, you got to keep trying.
1: So tell the story of that. You were friends with the writer director and he said, dude, I've got, I've got the film. I got a beaver movie.
2: It was even better than that. Jordan Rubin and I grew up in the same building in Manhattan when we were both like, uh, you know, like six years old or eight years old. His mom and my mom are still friends. Jordan was a successful comedian and comedic writer. I think he was on season one and two of the Chappelle show and done as a writer and done a lot of cool stuff in comedy. I ran into him when I was working out at the damn Hollywood. Y, you know, like, and we reconnected, we hadn't seen each other in like 10 years, you know, he had, you know, seen, you know, known I was making films and you know, we kept in touch about stuff and he calls me out of the blue and he says, Hey Evan, can I pitch you a film? I'm going to write with uh, two of my comedy buddies. I want to get your take on it because we're trying to decide if we're going to write it or not. I'm like, all right. So they pitched me the entire film in like, eight minutes, the whole thing on the phone, like, you know, out of the blue and I'm laughing. I'm like, these guys are funny. Like it's a funny pitch, man. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. So Jordan says to me, okay, you like it. I'm like, yeah, it's not, that's great. And it's called Beavers. Like that's he's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, I, I love it. Like, I, I think it's, I'm like, great. So you're going to go write it. And I'm thinking, great. You know, I'm going to get the script from like either never or like in a year. <laughs> <laughs> right he goes yeah he goes all right cool uh i'll send it to you in like two weeks i'm like sure buddy sounds good whatever whatever right two weeks later to the day bing you've got mail and there it is and i think we did one round of notes that were really minimal and it was ready to go like that's what we shot
1: Like a beaver dam. Let's go take a look. You girls from out of town?
2: We're staying over there in my cousin's place. We were looking for beavers.
1: Well hell, ain't we all? I've had enough excitement for one day. What was that?
0: Someone in there? There There's a beaver in the bathroom!
2: We got in front of a bunch of financiers. I went to Uncle Cassian. He wanted to do it. And his money guys at the time that he had to deal with didn't want to do it for whatever reason. Long story long, we got it. We got it financed. It took about, we pitched it everywhere. And I I thought, at first I thought, oh no, this one's not going to get going either. This is so stupid. The script is so great. And Jordan is awesome. He reminded me of Eli, but you know, he had a much more buttoned up sensibility and, you know, his comedic chops were just so on point. And uh, we found some equity financers. Uh, We partnered with the guys at a company that's called Good Fear now. They used to be called Bender Spink. So Chris Bender and JC Spink and Jake Weiner produced a film with us. And they had a couple of equity guys, Chris Lamol and Tim Zajaros, that also produced a film with us. And it was a great experience. You know, we shot all here in LA and it's, it's the film that my kids talk about the most. They haven't seen it yet because it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a hard R, but the, the title gets, uh, get, gets people excited. Gets
1: them going, yeah, exactly.
2: John Mayer and Bill Burr have a scene together <laughs> that Jordan wrote, and then he let them improvise.
1: So four months later, she's pregnant again. You know, so we're going back down to the clinic. She's crying, do you love me, and all that type of stuff. I told her I did. But do you think that means I'm going to hell?
2: (sighs) You know, I dated a guy once.
1: Could I hear all about it? I mean, there's not a lot to tell. It's like one of the easiest weeks of my life, other than the sex. That was brutal. You know, it's not the dick, it's the whiskers, man. It just creeps you out. You know, we just agreed on everything. Want to get some beers? Yeah. Want to watch the game? Absolutely. Get beers, and we watch the game. I hear a lot of myself in this story. It's not a you
2: in, the, in this story, man. It was a one time thing. The outtakes of that should, you know, I think are probably on a Blu-ray somewhere. But they're better, you know. They're they're better than than anything. It was it was a fun movie to make.
0: I, I there's so many that I I really want to talk about, and I know that. You know, Beavers has become one of those, as we, as they say, a cult classic. Uh, there's so many people who reference it. I hear that name even today. Another one that you had a really big part of was the Star Wars fanboys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, okay. Hilarious, everyone. Looks like we got more Lucas Hounds here to mock Roddenberry. Congratulations, gentlemen, but I would like to see your Darth Vader take on one Borg drone. We'll see who's laughing there.
1: Darth <laughs> Vader <laughs> can put the entire Borg collective in a vice grip with his mind.
0: Uh, Darth Vader has asthma, so uh, name me one Star Trek character with a respiratory disease, because I'm drawing a blank.
1: Name me one Star Wars
0: character who's gay.
1: Yeah
0: besides you well i you know it's gay in star trek so why would i even do this captain picard okay captain picard is not gay he's british come on
1: yeah fanboys yeah fanboys, talk is, about fanboys. Still the
2: best film that I, that i produced or, my son loves it like my kids like it my wife that's like the one film my wife likes you know <laughs> <laughs> my wife's like what is all these zombie movies like you're doing the thing about fanboys is that we—I uh, was developing it with like a—at like a, this point I was, you know, made Cabin Fever. You know, people knew me in the town and reading a lot of scripts, and I was pushing a lot of material around, and I had a lot of things in the fire. And then these younger guys, this you know, young kind of group of filmmakers that had gone to NYU, a bunch of them, Carl Newman and Matt Benicero, maybe eight or ten years younger than me, had come to me about this this film that this unknown writer named Ernest Klein who wrote Ready Player One, he hadn't written it yet, um, had wrote this play called Fanboys. And I liked the pitch. Kyle and a couple of his NYU buddies had done a draft of the script, and it just wasn't there. And I was working with them to try to get it there. And we brought in a couple of writers that are all writing for free. And and I remember I, I remember thinking, like, this is a waste of my time. Because it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't moving forward right? The script wasn't evolving. And I knew Kyle was frustrated and I knew Matt was a little frustrated. And then, um, I, they came to me and said, Hey, Evan, the options up on the play for Ernie, could you write Ernie a thousand dollar check? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Oh my God. And I I'm like losing faith in this. And I got to write a thousand dollar check. And of course I did it. it Kyle then called me, Colin Matt called me and said, we think we've got the writer that's going to take this over the finish line. Would you come meet him? And I was like, sure, I'll buy you guys lunch again. So we go out to Cantor's and it was Adam Goldberg, Adam F. Goldberg, who eventually went on to, he's, you know, a massive comedy, you know, producer, writer. He, the Goldbergs is his show and many others. Adam was like uh, a young TV writer and loved the script and pitched us back his version of the film and that night. And it was essentially what we shot. And I was like, Adam, if you can really write what you just pitched me dude, fucking good on you. Like I'm excited again. And he went off and did it, just wrote it. We got the draft like in a month and it was amazing. And I was like, thank God I wrote that thousand dollar check. So (laughs) And then we were off the races, you know, and, you know, we'd gotten the biggest stumbling block on that film from a financial standpoint, getting in finance. Everybody asked, well, what are you going to do about George Lucas? Because, you know, there's like Lucas stuff everywhere in the film. And at the time I had accepted a job as the VP of production for Kevin Spacey's production company, Trigger Street. And this was before Kevin's legal problems that are currently in the news media. And Kevin knew George through uh, through his celebrity was able to get George to kind of give us the, the keys to the kingdom. And we got a letter from Lucasfilm saying, from George saying, I love the script. I support your efforts. Use anything you want. Go for it.
1: Featuring. Princess Leia, Lando Calrissian, Darth Maul, Shooter McGavin, the warehouse guy
0: from The Office, the guy from Tropic Thunder, Jay, the guy from Die Hard 4, the hot chick from Sin City, and Captain James T. Kirk. Friend yours?
2: Fanboys. We would send a photocopy of that letter attached to the script when we sent it out to financiers. And then we did like 20 meetings in like two weeks. Everybody said they wanted to finance it. And I was like, we're going to make a big studio. It was going to be a studio film, you know? And then uh, Harvey Weinstein came back and said, no, I want it. I'm, I'm going to finance it. Let's go. Like path to production deal. You guys, you guys are going to go location scouting next week. I'm writing you a check. He had just left uh, Disney, uh, the Disney deal and just started the Weinstein company. He had a lot of money and Cassian always brokered the deal for us. We were making the film like five months later with Seth Rogen and Kirsten Bell and Jay Baruchel. And that's, uh, that's how we made fanboys.
0: And beloved, Uh, beloved fanboys. It's amazing. You know, Lucas, everyone thinks, thinks of him as being enigmatic and hard to deal with and stuff. But when he gets behind, um, projects and I know that, uh, the guys over a family guy and a robot chicken who have done a bunch of star Wars stuff that almost like makes kind of mocks or I don't know if mocks is the right word, but he, he loves that stuff. He gets behind it.
2: Look, I've never met the man, but I've been to his ranch and we know, they let us shoot on the ranch, (laughs) you know? So, right. You know, look, I got another good thing, good things to say about them. And it was, it was a really great experience and
0: people love that movie. Evan, it's a fun movie, you know. People look, love you, that movie. It,
2: it got re-edited yeah. by Harvey, and there was a whole period of like BS around that. And you know, the film didn't really get released properly. If I didn't really get released at all, which was a pisser. But the film's out there now, and people that know it love it, and people that want to find, you know, find it, find it. Because at the end of the day, Kyle made a he made a great little movie. And everybody that's in the film that produced the film, that was there was a lot of love in that film. I, and I say that because our, you know, my our line producer met his wife, his current wife, on the film, and Matt met, you know, was he's not with her anymore, but like, you know, we met his longtime girlfriend on the film, and Kyle met his, you know, the the mother of his children on that film. You know, so there was a lot of love in that film, maybe a little too much, but <laughs> you know, it was all it was all good. You know, we had a really it was it was kind of the, in a lot of ways it's like a full circle experience for Cabin Fever. We had a we had a good time making the film. It was hard. We weren't sitting in bougie trailers. You know, we were out there doing it in New Mexico, getting it done, 25 day schedule, long days, but everybody was was behind it. Everybody wanted to do it. They wanted to be there,
1: which is which is so important. Right. If there's anything we didn't talk about, if there's anything oh, yeah, that, that, yeah. that you know that you maybe share with because we all love to work with and be exposed to the youthful exuberance of young filmmakers. You know, a lot of our sets are filled with them. And even sure. just the other day, like a, a, a kid that worked for a good buddy of mine was like, sir, you know, can I maybe, uh, you know, buy you, buy you coffee and ask you some questions? I'm like, sure, kid, you know, and, and <laughs> it was great to just, uh, you know, he's what, I don't know, 26. He went to NYU, just graduated. He's out here. And it was great to just be like, do this, don't do that. Here's what I did. I
2: I love that. I'd say I'll flip it on you, Ryan. Let's tell the short version of whoa. Like what what was the first call I made to you about whoa?
0: Read the scripts you have until tomorrow. Uh, call me after. Bye. <laughs> and then uh, you, or you're out. you sent me a script and you sent me a script. Now look, it's not a great story but i think it's pertinent i disagree to young, i disagree
2: it is a great story it's pertinent it has- to young
0: it's pertinent to young filmmakers because i think a lot of people and i would agree that in today's world and market this is this is tough there was a time i think where you and i'm currently producing a movie in LA right now where a young filmmaker could come out to LA they could have an idea of a script they could Meet people, bring a team together. They could all kind of trade, work in the trade of if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, and, and and that's how things get done. And you could do that, and you could make a movie. And please, you guys know this as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you could make a movie like that. Well, and this and wasn't and that long ago.
2: That's how this started. So Matt Goodhue, who I'd worked with in the commercial world, was an editor and a you know a shooter, and he was a young guy that wanted to make a movie. Yep, And I kept encouraging him, like, write a script. Write a script. And, he wrote, and he wrote a really cool, dramatic horror film. And he calls me up and he's like, look, I've got like 50 grand. I got a camera package from Panavision or something. And I want to make this film. What do I do? Yeah. I'm beyond the $50,000 film, at least like, you know, right now. And I, and I couldn't see myself doing, but I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm, I think I know the guy and I called Ryan because Ryan was making some films. It was producing films. And I think I had, I don't want to say I had to convince you, but I had said, look, I think Matt should be, should make this movie like, like now. And I think it's something you guys could just go do. Yeah. And then I remember you had to kind of convince Matt that like, let's shoot it in three weeks. Or whatever it was. And he was like, what? No, we're going to shoot it like, We've got to develop it and cast it. And, he, and you were like, no, no, no. You don't have the money for that. Dude, we're making this film in like a month or whatever it was.
0: No, in fact, uh, you know, one of the things you said, and I think this is good advice. I just gave this advice to someone this week, which was I have saved 50 or $70,000, which is a lot of money for people. Yeah, it's a lot of, it, that's real money. It's real money. And should I make a teaser or should I make a short film? And your advice is if you have the money and you can figure out how to do it, why not just shoot the movie, just figure out a way to shoot the movie. And I gave that exact advice to someone literally three days ago.
2: Well, that's how Woe got made because I said, I said Ryan will know how to do know how to make this film for this amount of money. It was the right script. Yes. the, The budget sucked, but it was doable. And the long story short is that you guys made the film. It came out really well. And it was what New York times,
0: New York times. Uh, I forget. I'm sorry. It's terrible. It's like, I should like, give like the guy one of the best horror films of the year or filmmakers to watch. He got it another, he it. got another directing job out of it. And you're like, he's Absolutely. on, he's, he's on his, he's definitely on his way. I mean, I remember reading the script and I called you back and I said, wait, how, I go, how much money does he have? And I said, (laughs) and I said, I was like, I don't know here. Talk to Matt.
2: And and I'm like, go, you know, like let's go.
0: I said, I think we can do this, man. I said, look, I'll go I really like this. Look, I, these guys know me. I'll just share this. My life has been affected by suicide. It's something that I think people need to talk about. It's hidden in our society. It's a big cause of death in this world. It happens all the time. It's, it's, it's kind of a plague in the U.S. as much as anything else. And Matt had written it about suicide and about family, a family that's suffering from suicide and had written pretty clever horror. Now, what's on screen at the end of the day, we had to change some stuff. And that's just the way the process goes. But I bought into it. And I'll never forget this. So we are we go from a cold, nothing, deep space, no, nothing happening to Evan sending me the script, us having a conversation with Matt saying, let's go do this. And within a month, within less than a, a week, we put all the people together and uh, people did get paid. They didn't get paid, you know, freight, but uh, regular freight, but they got paid. And we also did it uh, non-union which is is very hard to do in the town, but it's it was such a low budget, we didn't get messed with. So that all being said, I think this was a Thursday evening. I get an email from Matt saying that we are going, like we're going on the next Monday. And I get an email from Matt saying, hey, Ryan, um, I, I don't think we should do this. So I'm just sending you this email to tell you I, I I'm don't backing I'm out. Backing out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even call Evan. I just picked up Yeah, I was about I, to
2: say, I don't think I heard this. But I didn't call it, you, I
0: didn't call you. I picked up the phone Thursday night. I said, Hey, thanks, thanks for answering the phone. He's like, Yeah, are you calling me about the and I, I stopped him. I said, The email? And he <laughs> said, Yeah. And I go, you could have at least had the spine to call me and tell me on the phone instead of sending me the <laughs> shit email that you're backing out of this, you quitter. And I really just got pretty bullied. I bullied him into making it. Good.
2: It's, that's what producers have to do. Yeah, I, you, you did the right thing. Yeah. I
0: bullied him into making it. And after Shudder, Shutter bought the movie and basically we paid back our investors. I think Matt made his money back. Hopefully. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure he, look, Whatever it is, it was his first film. We paid investors back and it got bought by Shudder. It's available out there. It's sold. And it's a it was a $70,000 movie. And you know the best thing about it is it's good. It's a, not a bad... It won a lot of awards. It won a lot of awards. It's really hard to
2: do at that budget level. Impossible. So kudos to Matt and to you. You guys did a great job.
0: But I had to drag that Young young, young lad kicking and screaming. I mean, we had a real... I bullied him into making it, but there was a time I'll never forget this. He said, Ryan, there were 10,000 times on this movie where I should have listened to you. And I look back now and go and say, I just want you to know I should have taken your... Where you said do be, and I did what I wanted to do, I, I should have done what you said but that all being said i want you to know how much i appreciate the fact that you bullied me (laughs) physically bullied me into making this movie look some directors
2: need you know a stronger hand some need you know to get out of their way Every, every director is different every filmmaker is different and every film is different so you know you you brought to matt what he needed to help him in the way that would you know help the film and he yeah
0: I mean he's a fantastic young he's a fantastic young writer he's a fantastic editor like he's kind of a guy who can do it all, and that's sometimes what you—that's what you need when you're young. You need to be able to make titles and be able to edit. Yeah, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. I really like the movie. I will say this also. We were talking about film festivals earlier. One of the biggest issues I think is that you know we submitted to South by Southwest and Toronto and uh, Sundance and all that. And I think we've had conversations, Alex, and you and I had had conversations about submitting to these places because it's really hard for films like that to get into those things. And you have to pay
1: money to do that. And nobody tells you that. They say, go make your film, young person. And then you go, okay. And then you get enough money to make it. And then you have a finished film, thank God, or maybe, you know, a lot don't. But you get it done. And then it's like, now what? Yeah. There's a whole, like sharks waiting for you to jump in like, oh, more product that we can take advantage of. It's kind of like you're a prospector out and, you know, you're Daniel Plainview and you, you bring in your, you know, gold nuggets to the town and they're like, we're going to take everything, kid. Just wait, you know?
0: And the crazy thing is, is that there's no, just to write a film. And this is what I, I have friends who, who've made movies, they've written stuff. They've filmed the stuff, they've edited the stuff, but they don't like finish it. They don't finish it. And it sits on hard drives and they talk about it. And I'm like, uh, the one thing I said to Matt was, I'm going to kick you. I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming to start this. But once we start it, we are not stopping till it's done. And we worked hard together for a long time to finish that movie. And, and it's not for everybody. But it is, you know, it's seventy eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It got written up in the New York Times. It didn't get into the big film festivals, but that's it's hard for that a film like this to do. But it did the film festivals that it did get into. It cleaned up. It did a great. Yeah, yeah, it it, it cleaned up, and I'm very proud of that. But it is, I think, Evan. To your point, if you have a script, if you if people read it and say, you got to do something with this. And if you have any type of funding whatsoever, just go out. Why aren't you, I think what you said to me that, that first conversation is why aren't you making this right now? You have like figure out a way to make it and make it. And that's true because no one is handing directors uh, jobs.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I said to Matt. I was like, look, I'm missing something here. You have the money. You got a camera. You got a house. The you already had the lead actor. Like what? You just need somebody you could put it together. Great. Hold on. I'll, I got the guy. <laughs> Flat, let's go. And then you guys are like making the movie. So. Yeah.
0: And in some ways, by the way, in some ways, that's kind of what happened with Alex in Hollow Body. I mean, that's yeah. That's exactly you know Alex is high voltage. <laughs> right. Released as high voltage, but uh, it will always be Hollow Body to me. Uh, like know. it's that's the thing is that Alex fought to get his financing. Like these are all, this all Ugh. goes into the 1% of the 1% conversation that I had with Matt and I have with everybody. It's a 1% chance you finish, finish a good script. There's a 1% yeah. chance you actually get the money to film a movie. There's a 1% chance you're going to actually film it, and complete it. There's a 1% chance you're going to edit it, and put it all together. And the reason the it's a 1% is because people just quit. They just can't. It's a long well, it's road. People don't no, understand. Yeah. People like even family members, and I'm sure you guys have run into this. There are family members out there who are like, uh, "When's that movie coming out?" That you, like they don't understand that this They're is a two-year process, maybe even three. Like minimum, mm-hmm. minimum. I mean, look here's here's the flip side of that, Evan. The positive side:
1: Cabot, you still getting checks for cabin Fever?
0: That's what
2: they tell me they're getting small, uh, you know, but and it's all good. It,
1: but, but it rebooted, it rebooted, yeah. it sequelized, it keeps going. Yeah. But, so if yeah. you
0: get the lottery ticket of something that you guys were in the, you guys were in the and woods, 20
1: years later, the woods of Carolina paying off.
0: ran out of town. Oh like my God. <laughs> uh, like <laughs> if you get it's that, if you make money it for me to run right. out of town but you know what I'm saying. I mean, no, that's what I, I, I this I totally is. Do. And, and by the way, what kind of risk was that to go out into the woods with $250,000 of, of Mr. Fullick's money and not even know if you had the money to finish it? Like that is, yeah. you got to like, yeah. This let, is, let, let, let alone get paid, which
2: we weren't, but, but it's all true. So those are all, you know, all, all those lessons are applicable.
1: Yeah. Please join us for other episodes of How I Got Greenlit, including our amazing conversation with mega producer Craig Perry as he discusses just how hard it is to make a living in the business of show. I teach classes, I take them through this entire spiel, it's about 15 minutes long where I describe the process of finding a piece of material and I go through the class and cast Every member of the class, as you're an executive, you're an agent, you're a director, you're an editor, so that they all feel like they're participating in what is usually a seven-year process. Yeah, that, I think a lot, lot of people tell From the sale of the script that. to getting it made, and which the producer gets paid nothing. In fact, the moment that makes the class usually gasp the horror is I say, "You worked for." Let's say 15 months getting the script to exactly where it needs to be with this guy who's still living in his parents' basement. But the script is great. Oh my God, it's sold for three against six, $300,000. How much does the producer get? Nothing. Mm -hmm. You get zero. And they just say, well, how do you live? I'm like, ain't that the bitch? Ain't that the treasure? That's the challenge. That was Craig Perry discussing how to make films and how to make a living while making films. Because as the man once said, It's easy to make a killing in showbiz. It's hard to make a living.
0: Welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm your host, Ryan Gibson with Alex Collegian. We're here with Evan Ostrowski, producer of Cabin Fever and many, many others. And we're going to go into talking about the film he brought us today, which is Michael Mann's Manhunter. Let's take it away. Why did you choose Manhunter, Evan? Well,
2: every film that I think you could say you love or you have a a kind of personal connection to it, for me at least, you know, like it's it's not just like oh I saw it and I loved it. I had never seen Manhunter um, growing up for (laughs) for obvious reasons. There's no way that film you know was probably on TV. And then I was a PA on uh, Coppola's Dracula back when I was at NYU uh, over Christmas break, just for like four weeks. And Coppola had a a VHS library in the production office where I worked that anybody could take anything out. You know, and it was like, you know, it was like three or 400 video, you know, VHSs. And I had been asked to kind of jump on the film at the end as they were trying to like get everything done and blah, blah, blah. So like the first weekend, I was like, oh, I'm gonna take a VHS home. And I looked at the, the sign out list and I looked at what Francis had taken out the most throughout the like three months I'd missed of production. And it was Manhunter. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And then I saw it like right in front of me. So I signed it out and I took it home and I watched it. And man, that film had an effect on me. I mean, that was like a kick in the nuts. It, first off, it was it. it it's really hard for me personally to get scared in films like i got like horror films or thrillers i mostly like particularly horror films you know mostly i'd like laugh you know or I'd, through like the gory stuff and i mean you know that's why i was so tried to take like, uh... <laughs> like like a few films i made but like manhunter you know that that's a excuse my friend that's a fucked up movie that movie is fucked up and i love william peterson's performance in it I love the uh, Michael Mann's mastery of filmmaking. You know his use of of music, of between score, track, needle drop. I thought that Tim Noonan, everybody was so on point on that film, and it was just so well done. So, and I'm a huge Michael Mann fan, yep. and so that's that's why I thought about it. You know, that's why I thought about it. It'd be, it'd be it's, it's a great it's a great film that uh, by a great filmmaker. That maybe not everybody has seen. I feel like, you know, Thief was his first film, the, the James Conn film. A lot of people have seen that film because it's like his first film, and I think directors' first films are often kind of sought after, you know, by film fans, you know, to kind of see where they begin. But I think this was Michael's second film, and he and and at the time he was, I, I think he it was his in second the second film
1: was the was the Keep, and we're not allowed to talk about that. It's been yeah. difficult. Oh, OK. Well, not even really. think, no Blu-ray that, imminent
0: on that one.
1: I think that he was <laughs> I think that he had made
2: this film either right before or right in the middle of his Miami Vice years. Right. And right. and let me tell you, there is a definite one to one going on in the style. Oh, you feel music. it. See it. Oh, you, yeah. you
0: can tell he was doing some he was testing.
1: sliding
2: door nationwide victims
0: yeah this is will graham of the fbi one killer this is what the subject's
1: teeth look like
2: whatever the tricks he learned you know with Sonny and crockett are like all over this film and by the way i fucking love my yeah i fucking love that shit. yeah
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's so that was the. Um, I don't want to get too. Uh, we should have you back and talk about Miami Vice, but you know, like the seven minute Phil Collins, oh, what's his on. name, driving yeah. in his, uh, yeah. his in Ferrari. There, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like yeah. that was never Which done before. Is the definitive use of that song. Everyone else who came after suck is. it, yep. <laughs> <laughs> including <Nope>. Todd Phillips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The Mike Tyson punch, right? Right. Yeah. By the way, some a little history and Alex obviously being our vault of uh film history. The first chapter in the Hannibal Lecter series is that, am I right of Alex?
1: Yeah. Cuz uh, so was originally uh, a book called Red Dragon. Yep. And I think it was Dino De Laurentiis uh, picked up the rights and still to this day, re- his company retains the rights of all the Thomas Harris lector bu- lector-verse, if you will. And yeah, he was the one who said, no, that's Red Dragon, what is, what is it? Are we making a sword and sorcery movie? Right. got to be <laughs> right. yeah. Are there elves and, in this? Yeah. And uh, kind of anointed man. I mean, Dino is a, a really interesting figure in film. Some people love him, some people hate him, but he is the guy that gives Michael Mann his first real budget, his first studio of film. He's the guy who gave David Lynch uh, a break with Blue Velvet. He's a guy who gave the Wachowski brothers their first film with Bound. Say what you will, but the guy... He's not afraid of, yeah. of
0: supporting that some crazy visions.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and let's just talk about the film in a macro. I mean, arguably... I think that the creators of CSI and every copy of it owe Michael Mann a residual check. Yes. This was the first time we saw modern day forensics that was not Quincy, MD, the sort of high tech science of reading the fingerprints that you can't see with the naked eye and the lasers and the and the that and all that sort of bringing in all these like incredibly smart people. Not it's not a detective, you know. It wasn't the usual, like, well, my intuition tells me this guy is guilty. It was using high tech and you know modern communication. And I remember it was the first time I saw a fax on a plane. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and, the, it's
2: kind of a ticking bomb film in a sense that yes, because they're going to strike. Yeah, yes. because you know they know that the Tooth Fairy is going to strike again and on a lunar they, cycle. They, and they the know when run. he's going to strike because he's he's all about like the lunar cycle, and so William Peterson and all you know, and Dennis Farina and you know his Farina's it, so good in this, are like chasing this guy down. And uh, what is that great line that the lab tech says? You know, you are so sly, but so am I. Right, you know, so am I? It's like yeah. it's like oh yeah, man, we're co- like the FBI's coming for you, man. But I will say that towards the end of the film, to it for everybody, when they kind of burst through the door into you know the tooth fairy's home i honestly didn't think it'd be that violent like the tooth fairy like offs like three cops in like 12 seconds and then william peterson like bursts through the window gets his face sliced opened. in tom noonan throws him across the room i'm like oh my god they're gonna kill the lead character holy shit what is about to happen it doesn't happen you know well, william peterson gets the better of him. and the other and the other thing i think that the film does really well is you know william peterson at the Beginning of the film, scarred by his experience that happens off screen with with Hannibal Lecter, how he caught Hannibal Lecter, which is, you know, how the series begins. And so he's this really broken guy and he has to then go back and face Lecter. And so the kind of PTSD of what, of what the police do day to day plays heavy in the film, which I thought was really ahead of its time, particularly today where mental health is so important in kind of today's culture across the board so that that coloring around those characters and that story i you know i think make it unique um it didn't fall into a trope you know at all michael mann he just wouldn't let it which was great and let's face it he had a great book to base it on so good for him
1: absolutely i i want to speak to the you're so sly but so am i like yeah um, michael michael mann said that that became the you know like on a film set there's like certain beloved scenes or lines or whatever that almost become like part of the vernacular of the set so he said when you know a dolly did a particularly amazing push for a dolly grip for a um, move or you know the cameraman got the perfect shot or an actor nailed the you know they would say "cut," and and then the guy would go like, "You're so sly, but so am I." Like it became like <laughs> the boy on, on the set, yeah. And what I love about this film too is like I'm a huge My, uh, Miami Vice guy, and and I love when directors start to either purposely or just because it's comfortable create a repertory company, right? So like the guy who played the scientist that says the sly line um, is Bill. Sumatrovich and he was in Miami vice, many different, yeah, recipes, yeah, many different yeah. roles. You know, he always shows up in Michael Mann movies and he kind of gave him his career. And then of course, you know, Dennis Farina, he, he, uh, after, the, I believe right after this is when they decided to work together on crime story and he actually gave him his first role. He was a working Chicago cop when thief was being filmed and hired him to play a heavy, in that film, like a shotgun wielding, scary guy who I don't think had any lines. And of course, like Stephen Lang turns up in Crime Story and in a lot of subsequent man films. So it's great to see that when they just have this like shorthand with a certain actor and they can't get enough of them, you know, whereas like Thief, we think of um, James Caan. Oh, my God. I mean, he recently passed away. Rest in peace. And, you know, all his interviews, he He lived, he he pretty much copped that that was his best Role and he he lived a good life. though, by the way, yeah. The best scene I ever acted was in Thief. That ten-minute dialogue scene of just about being a prisoner and growing up in his such a good movie. And um, yeah, I mean, what's great about this film is he. You're right; it's very much touched by the color palette, the style, the music, even the clothes. He basically used most of his keys from Miami Vice. He said, Guys, we're making a movie and just grabbed, you know, like uh, people who already like anointed as very talented and like production design and and things like that. And that's why we get that, you know, Melbourne, Bonnie Timmerman, like these are people that helped Miami Vice become Miami Vice and he just brought them along. What's cool is it's almost like, you always expect these very dark films to be very dark. You know, I think of seven, seven is just like, it's, it's, it's super dark. Right. Yeah. But this film actually has a lot of like, like he went the other way with it. It's amazing to see the two scenes of silence of the lambs and manhunter and the inevitable, like, Let's go pick Hannibal Lecter's brain, right? So we all know the Silence of the Lambs ones. It's gothic. It's dark. It's a basement. It's stone. it's, It's, you know, it's very creepy and like old haunted house kind of vibe. So what does man do? All white tile, all white everything, and it's super yeah. bright.
2: I wonder if he was kind of trapped in Miami, like between uh, seasons, and he had to just. I think it was. I that? think they
1: shot it between, yes, like in summer between, the
2: same. You know, because yeah, it's all sure, the same. Yeah. It's all shot yeah, in the yeah.
0: South too.
2: Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Hey guys, guess what? Guess what we're doing on you know on break, yeah, You know, we got a gig. Yeah. You know, one of the other things for me, you know, because I found out about it through through working on Dracula. I when I watched Dracula. I'm like trying to figure out, like, like what, what did Coppola see in that film that he applied to Dracula, which is another film anybody could say, you know, is a great B-side of one of Coppola's films. What is it that that he saw in that film? And I started to think, well, is it how he structured Gary Oldman's character? You know, is he kind of like a 17th century serial killer? Is he like that demented, like Jack and the demonic, and you know, like what's going on there? That's a harder one-to-one to really connect those dots. But I, I honestly, I I really feel it's the tone that that Michael Mann creates. So br- I mean, so brilliantly. Michael Mann's I think one of his great gifts as a director is tone, and that's created th- in, in from everything, every tool in the director's toolbox, from music to acting to production design, camera movement, all those kind of things. And I think that, you know, when you watch that film, I wonder to myself in the, you know, the real bloody, you know, sequences of, of Dracula, did Coppola kind of get some, get, you know, get some tips and tricks from his buddy, Michael Mann, on like how to really make, how to make a serial killer, like cup sequence or whatnot, but we'll never know. Because uh, Francis doesn't return my calls anymore, but.
1: <laughs> 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 but anyways, But um yeah, but it and and that was one of my favorites of his too. Talk about a great B side. I mean, that is just an underappreciated Coppola movie. So next time you come back, let's let's do that one. But yeah, I think it's a huge stepping stone for man. I think Thief was such a just dynamic debut. This was the next logical step. Incredibly, it did not do that well commercially, because now I think how it just sort of resonated through culture it was almost mm. like too early for such a thing but it was very shocking some of the some of the stuff he did but it's not that gory a film it's almost implied mayhem True. you know it's pretty intense like, and, but, i mean it's it, it's pretty very intense very intense very creepy like the whole scene where he goes through the house adopting the first person concept of being the killer himself, right? His, yeah. his special skill, yeah. uh, the Will Graham, uh, magic, uh, I need the magic man. You know, you see the effects of the murder and the theater of the mind is much more terrifying. Right. Well, he he, he look- has
2: those great cutaways to the victims and he's in the house at night and it's, it's, the, that shit's creepy.
0: Yes. Yeah, mean, the, yeah. the, the stalk. The
2: the oh the art god. of the yeah. stock is pretty crazy in that movie, and it's he's killing families and women, and it's yes, like, and,
1: and you see the bloodstains in the children's room. Oh my so. god,
2: you know, and yeah. uh, and i best use of a wheelchair uh, uh, I've ever seen in a film. So,
1: <laughs> so that's <laughs> uh, a guy on
2: fire, and uh,
1: for. Yes, and wheels some... Yeah, yeah, lets him go down. Let let us him go down Jesus. the ramp. Uh, well, was, okay, maybe that is kind of gory. That was pretty yeah, happy, no, that but, was good. It was well. Welcome. But you don't really see anything, and it's and it's one of my favorite. It's a bygone trick for stuntmen. The the Burning Man. Have you guys ever got to use a Burning Man in any of your films? You, Cabin Fever, one man.
2: That's what we, yeah, yeah. We did. We yeah. did that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I fucking love that. So that just it, it, it entails. It's very old school. They just cover the uh, stunt person in a lot of protective gear. They coat their skin and they light them on fire yep. and they do the classic, like Frankenstein arm wave. And like, it just, I can't get enough of it. And then they fall over. Like the thing used it a lot, stuff like that. But I go back to Farina in this film, cause you rewatch it. You're obviously you're, you're riveted by the plot. Maybe the first go around, you're just kind of following along, but when you watch it at, you know, 10 times or whatever, as I have, I I'm looking at Farina's like, he's, he's just great. Like there's a, there's a subtle moment where they get Freddie Lowndes, the, uh, the reporter, the tabloid reporter. And they said, well, let's use him to flush out the killer. So Will Graham agrees to a interview. And so to purposely goad the killer to try to strike at him he implies stuff like, oh, well, you know, he might wear dresses and he might, you know, have been yeah, molested yeah. sex with his, his mother molested or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Sex, sex with an animal. And <laughs> you just see Farina chuckle in the background. Like, oh, I didn't know we were going. <laughs> and, he, and he has to like hide it so that the reporter doesn't know they're full of shit. <laughs> stuff like that is just great. And even the concept, Peterson plays it beautifully. You can tell how torturous that his skill is. Theme of it is, hey, you have this gift. Well, what's that? Well, you can pretend to be a serial killer. Well, what's the implication? Like, he's one shade away from actually being a serial killer. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. He wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, dude. He he is animal Lecter,
1: And the wife and the kid don't want to be around him yeah. because they're smelling it on him. Like, we're not safe in the house with you, are we? And I love the whole Farina thing of coming there and saying i need you you know i need the blade runner magic one more time you know it's like the classic reluctant hero thing you get a wider world like i always love heroes or stories where there's already a wider world and adventures that they've had and we're just coming in on this one right it's like the godfather oh well yeah there was a story about the band leader and so you get the legend right you kind yeah. of build up the legend so in this case here's characters we don't know he walks in hey man, I got to get you to do this thing. And you hear a little bit of hints about how bad the last job was. And he's kind of retired because it was so you know dangerous and traumatic and blah, blah, blah. And then he just gives him the picture. And in your mind's eye, you're like, oh, it's a photo of like a headless corpse and a topless bar or whatever. Right. And then you see that the picture is just a family. Yeah. And it's like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and trigger your psychosis again.
2: And it births into cinema, uh, you know, the cinema world. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, one of the greatest characters ever. I mean,
0: exactly.
2: He's up there with Darth Vader, you know. So yep. as an ultimate bad guy, all all around, great great stuff from Michael Mann on a budget. You know, now obviously he paints with the biggest palette on earth. Well deserved. Even on a shoestring, he he does great stuff.
0: Yeah, speaking of shoestring, I did not know this, but doing the research for the show, apparently Michael Mann never got clearance to shoot on an airplane. I love this. So story. he
1: just booked everybody in the crew take tickets on the plane. And then and checked and checked the the camera as luggage. So they just pulled it all out and started filming. And when the passengers complained, they mollified them with crew jackets. Here you go. We're making a Yay. movie here. It was just, what do you need? A small? Here you go. Yeah, it was It was. <laughs> it
2: was, it was, it was the late 80s, right? You know? What, you know I just, it it's so amazing uh, that, that that actually swam.
1: happened. And then, you know, the use of Enigada DeVita. Yeah, of the greatest, I mean. One like, needle drops ever.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was perfect. I can hear Tarantino and Wes Anderson, you know, as, like, yeah. teenagers or you know, 20-year-olds going, Dude, I got like whatever that guy's doing, I gotta do
1: that. Well, I think we got it. What do you guys think? Anything more to say? Well, about- I would I have to say if you
0: haven't seen Manhunter, you should probably go watch it. Well, freaking, don't listen to us, man. Stop what you're doing. Yeah. Like, we just
1: ruined it for you. But um Well, we didn't. It really is something to see. If you're a Michael Mann fan, um, it is the connected tissue between uh Miami Vice, Thief, Heat, and pretty much his whole over of like troubled men with you know on a mission
2: and if you're currently in film school looking for a thesis topic somebody try to connect the dots between dracula and uh and manhunter because uh i i, I would love to read that paper
0: <laughs> yeah just just so you know you have exactly. inside information that coppola the one thing he, it was Cop- coppola checked out the movie he checked out the most was manhunter right is that what you're saying
2: true so, yeah it was, it was funny obviously because because i remember the one of the other films i took home was Yankee Doodle Dandy, like next week, right? And it, because I was like just trying to mimic whatever Coppola was taking yeah. you know? and I watched that film, and I was like, "Why the fuck am I watching?" That? <laughs> <laughs> like, and you know what? You know why? Because this is a great piece of entertainment. And then, you know what? I think probably Francis just wanted to, you know, kick back with a bottle of red and just be like, you know, who doesn't love Spencer Tracy dancing I'm playing Kohan? <laughs>
1: uh,
2: James Cagney. James Cagney. Thank you. And uh, black and white, you know, and uh, uh, anyways, that's the other film I remember being uh, introduced to in that library that still sticks in my mind.
0: He should have released a list of all that stuff. It would be great to see that. Like, what were his, what were his, yeah, big cha- what was his, what was his Blockbuster video I, lineup? If
2: only, if only mobile phones were invented, cell you know, cell yeah. phones, I would take a picture of it. Well, I, we'll never know. will never know. Maybe we will. I don't know.
1: <laughs> anyway thank you so much yeah for us, Evan. Uh, this was uh, a long man. time coming of course and my pleasure so good one of our favorite films manhunter and of course go check out all of evan's films cabin fever one through was it 79 now? 79 uh, 78. 78 78 and uh, of course zombie beavers fanboys and many others.
0: I do have to ask, you can't, there's no need, there's no uh, needle drop on cabin fever news right now. Is there, a, is there anything coming? Is there, is there any updates on what might be in the future for cabin fever for the listeners out there? Can we break um, any Can we break any news? That's
2: what I can talk about.
0: Oh, <laughs> mystery.
2: <laughs> it's a but
0: mystery. I,
1: there's something, something is a mystery. There?
0: That's all I could say. Oh, <laughs> okay, um, you heard right, it I here like first it. on how I got greenlit. A I will say him.
2: this. I will say this. You are so sly. Are so sly. <laughs>
0: so,
1: oh. <laughs> and with that, this all has right. been how I got greenlit. I'm Ryan Gibson. I'm Alex Collegian. And check us out on social on Twitter and Instagram at how I got greenlit. Also, if you want to email us, how i got greenlit at gmail.com. Thanks everybody. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Satan Drugs Therapy It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend I'm comedian Kiki Anderson And those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far On my podcast Indecent The show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where
0: NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.